We all need God, don't we? You know, in fact, there's some going through troubles and trials at this time. And the only place that you're going to be able to find that comfort and peace and strength is in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we got news this morning that, um, you know, uh, Brad, which is Carolyn and uh, Don's son, is in the hospital at this time. Uh, also, who else was it telling me somebody had to go to the hospital? Yeah, Miss Betty Havard had to go to the hospital. And Allison uh, lost her mother. Uh, I guess she passed away last night, Allison. So remember these. And can, listen, the only place we can go to find comfort and strength is in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Matthew chapter 16. I promise we're not going to steal your verse there, Nathan, that you stole from us. No, uh, we're not going to get to where you was. But Matthew chapter 16, we're in a series. This is our fourth lesson on a series that we've entitled The Sevenfold Strategy of Satan. Now, as you know, when you study numbers within the Bible, the number seven is the number of completion or perfection. And, uh, you know, necess not necessarily, but I think the seven strategies we're going to use are the complete strategies that Satan uses. In other words, you know, he, he may have some hidden out, an ace in a hole, so to speak. But these are seven that I know of and I've seen, you know, that he uses. Now, today we're going to look at the, the fourth strategy that he uses is to try to destroy the power of the church. You see, if he can destroy the power of the church, which he which he thinks he can, he'll never be able to do so, but he thinks if he can destroy the power of the church, then he can destroy the church. Now, thus far, we've looked at three of the seven folds of the strategies that he uses to attempt to draw believers away from their relationship with God. And then that's his goal, to individually drag us away, to cause us to walk away from God. Because it, let's just take the church as a whole. You know, if Satan can get individuals, you know, away from God, then that begins to deplete the local church. And the sad thing is, in these last times, boy, that is his goal, to, to get people away from the church for whatever reason he can come up with, and they'll buy into, you know, uh, you know, then he thinks he can destroy the power of the church. So the first thing he used is that we looked at before was deception. He's great at deceiving us and making something that is bad look good. And the second thing that we saw was he makes sin attractive. He takes sin and he can make it, you know, uh, look so good and uh, so much better than what he is. And he's the master at doing so. The third thing that we looked at was that of distorting God's word. You know, what I mean by this is he takes what God has says in his word and he twists it all up to make it say what he wants it to say. And people buy into it just like with Eve we looked at week before last. He said, now, did God really say you know, and, and what did she do? She got all twisted up. She had no earthly idea. Now what God really said. Now today we want to look at this fourth strategy, and that is trying to destroy the power of the church. Now let's see how he attempts this. But first of all, I think we need to know who or what is the church. You see, a lot of people have a misconception about what the church is. As Jesus was talking to his disciples in this passage of Scripture, you know, he asked them a simple question. He said, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And the disciples began to respond. Some say, you know, they said, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then Jesus sprung this question on them in verse 15. 
He said, but whom do you say that I am? Let's bring this personal. Who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter spoke up in verse 16, and he said this, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Folks, that's where we have to get to in our life, that we recognize who Jesus Christ is. You know, and that's what Peter said here. And, and, and you know, Jesus, uh, uh, the response uh, to Peter's answer was, Flesh and blood have not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Then Jesus went on to say to Peter in the rest of the verse, in verse 18 concerning the church, And I also say this to you, Peter, that you are Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church. Now, the Greek word used here in this passage is ekklesia, and it literally has the meaning of a chosen or a called-out assembly. Listen, every one of us here this morning who are saved, you are an ekklesia. You are a called-out believer in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, if you are saved, you have come to the point in your life that you understand truly who Jesus Christ is. And the only way you understood that is because the Spirit of God... The Holy Spirit of God revealed that to you one day. Now, technically, he's speaking here about uh, and a group of believers. Therefore, the church is made up of individual believers. Okay? Now, pay attention to this. Who assemble together for the purpose of the worship of the Lord. You, individually, are the church. And individually, we assemble here together to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We must understand that this building is not the church. Now, we often refer to that, don't we? That church down the road. That church on the corner. Listen to me. This building is not the church. The property that this building sits on is not the church. The church has nothing to do with buildings instruction or structures. Rather, it has everything to do with individuals who know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. You see, you are the church. Whether it's here in this building, whether it's at school for you young people, whether it's on the job, wherever you may work, or whether you're out in the community, you are the church. And we must understand that. And that's why it's so important, folks, that we as called out believers, we as the church, you know, live a Christ-centered life no matter where we are. We are the church. And we represent Jesus Christ, who is the chief cornerstone of this church. You see, when people see us, don't miss this. And again, this is why it's so important that we live a Christ-centered life. Because when people see us, you know, they get a picture of Christ by the way we live our life. I mean, that's the only way they can see Christ, is through us. So when people see us, they see Christ. Therefore, we give people a picture of Christ by the way we live our life. In other words, we determine. Now, this is going to get pretty tough. We determine how people around us view Christ as a result of the lifestyle we live. So if you're not living a very righteous lifestyle, you're telling those around you, Christ is not very righteous. If you're living a sinful lifestyle then you're telling others around you that Christ was a sinner. And neither of those are true. Now, he went on in verse 18b and he said, the gates of hell cannot stand against the power of faith. Look at this. In verse 18b, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Against what? The church. 
Because he had just got through telling Peter, upon this rock, upon this rock will I build my church. And then he says, and the gates of hell will never, ever be able to prevail against it. Jesus was telling Peter, he was telling the disciples of that day, and he's telling you and me today that when we understand that Jesus is the rock, that Jesus is the foundation that the church is built on, you know, nothing can ever come against it. Listen to me. Nothing can destroy it. Nothing can tear it apart. Not even hell itself is able to bring the church down is what Jesus was saying. Now, you may ask, well, Pastor, if that's true, why do we see so many church splits? Pastor, if that's true that had, uh, the devil can't come against the church, that the devil, you know, can't come against, uh, you know, or overtake the church, why do we see churches today closing their doors? Now, I believe there's a couple of answers to those questions. First of all, Jesus was speaking a- 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 about the church as a whole, okay? Not the individual church, the, uh, but the church as a whole. You see, and second, every church split, that I have ever seen, every church split that I have ever seen, you know, or had to close their doors was always due to eternal issues. Now stick with me here. What I mean by that is internal squabbling among immature believers who had to have things their way. Okay, if you've ever seen a church split, listen to me. That you can trace it back to that. One or two people had to have things my way, my way. You know, uh, you know uh, I was telling Pam and William this morning as we was, you know, going over some songs. I said, you know, uh, you know there's two words Baptists don't ever say. Now, I'm going to say them, okay? So y'all forgive me for saying these, okay? The first one is change, that C word. Oh, God help us. I don't mean to cuss in front of you, Okay. But, you know, Baptists just don't change. William, what was the second one I told you? I don't even remember. See, I tried to get those words out of my head. <laughs> okay? Yeah, I know. Anyway, but folks, listen. Every church split, every time I've seen church close their doors, it's because there was a couple of people that ran the church who had to have things their way. They had, they had no consideration for the church as a whole. Abraham Lincoln once said this, and we got it up here for you. America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we lose our freedoms, it will be because we destroyed ourselves from within. Now you say, what does that have to do with the church? Because I believe the same thing is true with the local church. Okay? Satan cannot destroy it even if he opens up the gates of hell and he sends every demon out to attack it. Nor can he destroy the church as a whole no matter how much he attacks it. You know, the church as a whole will never be destroyed by Satan or his forces. And even the local church can't be. It always comes from the inside. People who have to have their things their way. Like America. You know, it can only be destroyed from within by immature believers who are always fighting among themselves. The foundation of the church, folks, is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. And nothing is able to shake that foundation of Christ. Now, it is through faith that the church receives its power. 
Where do we receive our power? Through faith. Again, what did Jesus tell Peter? Upon this rock shall I build my church. Now, he wasn't talking about building the church, oh, Peter. You know, I got sad news for some uh, people. Peter was not the first pope, okay, as some people think. That Jesus made him the first pope here. No, he said, upon this rock will I build my church. He was speaking about the faith that Peter showed when he said that Jesus was the son of the living God. Peter, you have faith here. And it's upon that faith that I'm going to build my church. And, and, and you know, if, if, if it is our faith in Christ and that he is who he said he was, from which we receive the power as individual believers. And, uh, and uh, as our individual power comes together, it is a force that Satan can't overpower. In other words, as individual believers, as individual churches, as we assemble together corporately to worship the Lord, if we are all truly standing on faith, Satan can never destroy even that local church body. It's only when people aren't standing on faith and have to have things their way that Satan's able to get in and cause destruction and cause destruction. You see, as long as we stand on faith, none of Satan's attacks will penetrate a child of God or a church as far as that goes. All Satan can do to a child of God who is living by faith is intimidate you if he allows you to. Or if you allow him to. That's all he can do is intimidate you. And he can intimidate us with things of this world. He can intimidate us with situations that we go through. He can intimidate us with, you know, well, when we lose a loved one or when we got someone in the hospital or, you know, our health goes bad. Those are ways that Satan can creep in and begin to intimidate you. Okay? And try to tear down your faith. He can make you think. He can get to you. He's like a snake in a glass or, or a cage or, or a bad dog on a chain. He can make you think that he can get to you. But don't miss this. Faith is that glass between you and the snake. Now, you know, we've, showed, you know, we've talked about this before, mainly, I guess, on Sunday nights. But if you've got a snake in an aquarium, okay, and i tell you what, that glass can be that thick, okay? But if you put your hand up there and that snake strikes most people that's got brains, okay, will pull their hand away, okay? Are you with me? Okay? If you, got, if you walk up into someone's yard and, and there's a dog, a pit bulldog, okay, on that chain, and you know how far that chain can come, I don't care how brave you are. When he hits the end of that chain, you're backing up. Why? Because you got brains, Okay? You, you, you got some sense about you. But don't miss this. Faith is that glass between you and that snake. That's faith. Faith is that chain that holds that dog at a distance. And it's that faith that we have that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God that can help us to stand on anything. And the gates of hell have no power over a church. The gates of hell has no power over a believer who is living by faith. Now, can bad things still happen to us? Yes. Will bad things still happen to us? Yes. But we learn through those trials and those troubles. And our faith becomes stronger as we learn and we trust Christ through those trials. 
Now, the third thing we see here is this. Satan attempts to overcome the church from the inside out. We spoke about that for a moment. Let's kind of go a little bit deeper in this. Turn to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. You see, because Satan knows he cannot overpower a believer who stands on faith, this forced strategy to destroy the, is to destroy the church, whether in, in, through an individual or through a church as a corporate body, to do it from the inside out. And again, he does it one believer at a time. You see, two things we're told in this passage of Scripture, you know, that Satan uses to destroy the, the power of the church from the inside out. First of all, in verse 17, look at that. Now, beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Two things we see, mark them. That simply means make a note of who they are. You know, if you have someone in the church body that's always causing trouble, if you have somebody in the church body that's always, you know, uh, you know taking and, and, and twisting the word of God like Satan does, you know, who is not, what did he say? I beseech you, brother, mark them with cause divisions contrary to the doctrine. If they're always bringing in new doctrines and they're always causing trouble and they're always, you know, uh, you know seeking to destroy, he says, mark them. Know who they are. And the second thing that he says there is to, and this is tough, avoid them. Avoid them. You know, this is what Jesus was saying in Matthew 18 when he gave the procedure for one who offends. You remember in Matthew chapter 18, uh, you know, he said, first go to them one-on-one. -on -one. If they don't hear, take two or three witnesses and try talking to them again. If they still don't see they're wrong and the damage they're doing to the church, you know, then bring them before the church as a whole. And this is what marking them means, letting the church know who they are, what they are doing, what their goal is. And he says, them type of people... When it gets to that third stage and they still won't hear you, you just got to avoid them. You just have to avoid them. You see, those who attempt to destroy the church from the inside out, they are not serving Christ. They're serving Satan. Okay? They're serving Satan. Look, look what he says in verse 18. For they that are such serve not the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. Two things here. First of all, they serve their own belly. That simply means they're always looking out for themselves. You know, they're always looking out for themselves. And what is best for them personally, not as what is best for the church as a whole. You see, immature believers, they don't really care what's good for the church as a whole. You know, all they know is I don't like what we're doing. I don't like how we're doing it. You know, they're serving their own belly. But mature believers say, well, I don't really like that, okay? But I know it's best for the church. I don't like that praise and worship music, but I know it's best for the church. You see, that's a mature believer. That's a mature believer. Okay, the second thing is these people are usually well-liked by others. Well-liked by others. And they have a way of communicating you know, that others are just attracted to them, you know? I mean, they, they have that charisma about them, and people just flock around them. And then as they begin to tell people this, that, and the other, you know, people, you know, they flock to them, and they begin following them. And you know what? Here's the sad thing. 
you know, many times these people don't even realize they're being used by Satan to do something that he himself cannot do, and that is destroy the power of that church. Now, the fourth thing is this, our promise from God. What does God promise us? Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Here in these five verses, Paul gives us some great promises as the church that we can hold fast to. Okay, first of all, we see in verse 18. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. You see, what he's saying there is through the Holy Spirit, we have direct access to God. Direct access to God. Look, you don't have to go through some, you know, father, some priest, some, you know, some guy with a black suit and a white collar. You don't have to go through me. You can go directly to God. Isn't that great news? It's great news that because we're of one spirit, we have direct access for the Father. Because we are one spirit, we all have the same access. You know, look, you know, you can go to God just as easy as I can. God hears you just as good as God hears me. And because we are all of one spirit, we should always be able to come together as one and be in unity no matter the circumstances that confront us. The second thing is, as the church, we are fellow members of the family of God. You know, when I got up this morning uh, you know, for, for, to welcome, you know, I said, it's good to be back with the family. Now, some of you thought, I thought you were on vacation with the family. I was, my physical family. But you're my spiritual family. We're a family, folks. We're a family, and we need to understand that. Look at verse 19. Now, therefore, you're no more strangers or foreigners. No more. He said, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Look, we're a family. That's why we can cry together as a church. That's why we can rejoice together. That's why we can, you know, love one another. That's why some of you love me, and you're wondering, how can I love him, Okay? Because we're a family. We're a family. Look, I know from time to time that most every family has their family quarrels. You know, uh, I would ask if, you do never, if you've never had a family quarrel, raise your hand, but I don't want nobody to lie to me this morning, okay? But the fact is, in our physical families, we all, from time to time, have family quarrels. But at the end of the day, maybe at the end of the week or the month of the year, some say it's a little bit longer, but you know what I'm saying. At the end of the day, we always come back around and love binds us together as the family circle comes full circle. Why do we finally forgive? Because we're a family. And folks, it's the same way in the church. You may offend me. I may offend you. But at the end of the day, we come back around because we're a family. We're a family. The same is true with the family of God. You know, we're not strangers to one another. We're not foreigners to one another. You know, we, those of us who know Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're of the same family. We're of the same household. Now, the next thing we see in verse 20. As the church, we have a solid foundation in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being that chief cornerstone. What's he mean by that? 
Jesus is that cornerstone that everything else is built off of. You know, in ancient days, the most important part of the foundation was that cornerstone because it had to be just right. It had to be solid because everything else was going to be built off of it. And if it was off just a little bit, the whole building would be off. So it had to be perfect. It had to be placed in just the right spot or the foundation would be weak, therefore making the believer or the building weak. But with Jesus as our chief cornerstone, we are on sure foundation, folks, that can withstand any storm. It can withstand any attack that Satan may come upon us if we stand on faith. Now, the fourth thing is, as a church, we're to come together for the purpose of growing into a holy temple for the Lord. Look at verse 21. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple unto the Lord. Now, I, I think a key word there is groweth unto a holy temple. What that means, it's a continual process. We're always growing getting stronger and stronger and stronger in the Lord. Paul made it clear to the church at Corinth that as people of God, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost who lives within us. And as individual temples come together, we do so for the par uh, purpose of growing the church, making the church bigger and stronger and, and more faithful. And the final thing is this. As the church, we are working together for an eternal habitation. Look at verse 22 in whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. And folks, listen, this habitation we're building on together, it's not a physical habitation, you know, built uh, by hands. Rather, it's a spiritual habitation that's going to last eternally. You know, some churches think because they have large, beautiful buildings that they're building an eternal habitation for God. But I've got sad news for them. One day it's all going to be burned up. It's not a matter of great, big, fancy buildings that we're building on here, okay? You know, it's not, if the Holy Spirit of God is not a part of that building, it doesn't matter how big it is, it doesn't matter how beautiful it is, it doesn't matter how costly it is, it's not the habitation of God through the Spirit that's going to last eternally. It too, like everything else, one day will be burned up on the day that Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom. And then he'll set up the temple he wants for that thousand-year reign. And then we'll be taken to our new heaven and our new earth that he went away to prepare over 2,000 years ago. Yes, Satan thinks he can cause individual churches to implode and close their doors. That he, can, that he can have the power to destroy the church. I looked up that word implode, and here was the definition of it. You know, to implode simply means this, to collapse inwardly, okay? To collapse. We, we've all seen videos of, of, of these large cities who uh, implode buildings. What do they do? They come straight down on themselves. You know, but the, the definition is to collapse inwardly with force as a result of an external pressure being greater than the internal pressure. Now, what that means for the church, folks, if the internal pressure that is going to be there because of the faith of the people is not as strong as the external pressure being put on it by Satan, then yes, it can implode. 
That's why you see churches closed. That's why you see churches split and all this because that external pressure that Satan is putting on it is stronger than the faith of the people within the building. It's stronger. Therefore, it just implodes upon itself. Why do some churches end up having to close their doors and sell their buildings? Not because they didn't have the power to overcome that external pressure, you know, that was being placed upon them by Satan and his forces, but because that external pressure was greater than the internal pressure because they allowed to, uh, they, they failed to allow the power of God to rule and control their lives. Listen, you stand upon the faith that Peter stood upon of that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. You remember there was one day that Jesus told Peter, hey, hey Peter, um, Satan's come to heaven wanting to sift you as wheat. Remember that? And Satan did sift Peter as wheat. But you know what? Peter overcame because the faith he had was greater than that external pressure Satan was putting on him. Hey, Jesus was praying for him. He said, I'm going to pray for you, Pete, because he's coming after you. He's coming after you. But Peter's faith was strong enough internally that it overcame that external pressure that Satan was putting on. Listen to me in closing. Every one of us in here today, Satan, if he's not doing it now, he's going to put some external pressure on you, trying to get you to collapse, trying to get you to collapse. And if you're not strong enough on the inside as a result of your faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to collapse. You're going to fail. We have to maintain our faith. We have to keep our faith strong. We have to always continue to look upon Jesus Christ for that faith because that's where it comes from, that power. Some of you are going to go out of here today and you're going to feel some external pressure. Some of you are going to feel it all week. My words of encouragement is to you is this. Just look to Jesus Christ for your strength to make your internal faith a lot stronger than that external pressure he's putting on you. And you will overcome. You will overcome. Listen, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, listen to me. Listen to me. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, you have no internal faith. Are you with me? Therefore, it doesn't take much external pressure to collapse you, does it? Because there's nothing on the inside to keep it from just falling in. So if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, Satan don't have much of a, uh, a job when it comes to collapsing you and causing you to fall. Maybe today needs to be the day that you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and begin building that faith and growing that faith in order that when that external pressure does come upon you, you'll be able to overcome. Let's pray.